This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody. One of those before the episode tags, but this time it's Brian coming at you with a quick reminder that could cut full registration. That's for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, the best fantasy league in the world. It's a pyramid scheme, like not in the bad way, in the good way. You can see the rules at keepingcarlson.com slash KKUPFL. Registration for it closes this Thursday uh, or this past Thursday if you're listening to this really late. So uh, if you're interested, you just need to become a patron first. Uh, and then there's a link once you're there, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Uh, and then also our almanac continues to sell like hotcakes. Get yours quick before they're all gone, except we have an infinite amount, which is to your benefit. Uh, so uh, you can check out all our hard work. You've got almost 30 hours of fantasy hockey podcasting content where Elon and I project over 300 skaters. We tier over 70 goalies. It comes with a really nice spreadsheet of all our projections made neat and tidy. You can see what I thought, what Elon thought, what we average. Check that out at keepingcarlson.com slash almanac. And now, thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. And thanks for listening to that, too. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle jag så bra som mig. Yes, welcome everybody to another episode of Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and we've got a very special guest today, but before I introduce the special guest, here's my regular co-host, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. So nice to be with you. My specialist guest as always, but none as special as the person uh, that's also with us who I'm going to allow you the honor of introducing. Okay, we've got with us today, I guess the people who are listening to the podcast saw in the title the person who it is. So this is even not much of a surprise, but we've got Dom Lucician from The Athletic, from his amazing spreadsheet projections, like the Dom Lucician. We've got him here. Very excited, Dom, to have you. This is the third year in a row that we've gotten you to come on our show to talk about all of your projections and for us to uh, argue about the ones that we have differently. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. There are very few people I'll make time for uh, during this busy time of year for me, but you two are one of them. So be proud of that. Oh, I'm so proud. That's amazing. So and proud. <laughs> we'll try our best to make the most use of your time by, of course, first asking, the last time we had you on, we were talking about how you were a chart boy and you were on the cusp of becoming a chart man. Uh, did you have your chart mitzvah? Did you make it happen? Uh, no, not yet. I think that happens when you turn 30 and cry alone in your bathroom that you reach that age. Okay, well, looking forward to getting an update on that uh, next year. 
<laughs> so basically, the plan for today is you've released this amazing set of projections, but it's not only a set of projections. It's this whole spreadsheet tool that people can use to prep for their drafts. Brian and I have gone through all of your different projections. We, of course, made our own projections in our almanac, which I guess we'll just talk about at the end. And so we looked and found, I, fa- I basically made two teams, two like three forward, two defense, one goalie teams of players that we disagree on. It's the all disagreement teams, one of players that we're higher on than you, and then one of players that you're higher on than us. And then I'm thinking we could just go through each one and maybe see if we could come to an agreement or at least discuss why we disagree. But before we get to that, Dom, maybe do you want to just explain to the listeners, first of all, what do people get if they get your spreadsheet, which is at, by the way, fantasyhockeyprojections.ca. And then also, can you give a quick recap of how you actually come up with the projections? Right. So my spreadsheet is basically made so that you, when you buy this, you can customize rankings tailored to your league. So it's not hockey's not like fantasy football where everyone is in the same type of league other than if they're in a PPR league, like touchdowns, six points, unless you're a quarterback that has four points or maybe sometimes six points, but usually it's the same set of rules for everyone in hockey. Things are very different. Some people will have goals and assists be equal. Some people will have shots. Some people won't have shots. Some people have blocks or hits or penalty minutes if they're deranged. <laughs> uh, and all those things matter when you're coming up with rankings for your draft because the rankings will be different based on how players do in each of those categories. So I made a spreadsheet that calculates every player's fancy points based on their projection in each category. And then to go a step further, I created a value of a replacement for each player, which sort of solves the position dilemma of like when to draft a center, a right wing, a left wing, a defenseman, a goalie by comparing the player's fancy points to a replacement level player at the same position. And usually I just go by the top 100 in Yahoo fantasy rankings, just so defensemen don't get like completely overvalued. But that's, uh, that's the gist of what people are getting. And there's four different tiers. So the lower ones are just points. The middle ones have different stat categories. And the fourth one I made this year for Super Leagues and Dynasty Leagues, where you can actually do projections past this year. So I have a three-year and a five-year projection. I'll take a break and you guys can chime in before I explain how it works, I guess. Okay, no, I mean, it's so useful. You've said so much there. I think people don't even realize until they get it, like what they're getting. Like this is basically the all-around tool to help you prep for your drafts. Like you're saying, you can just put in your league settings and it's going to spit out this list of exactly what order the player's values are based on league settings, based on value over replacement for, you know, different positions. Really handy, but of course... The best value of it comes if we, people can trust your projections. And I know you are very different than us when it comes to how you come up with these numbers of how many hits, how many shots, how many goals and assists you think each player is going to get. You're straight machine, right? No gut. It's all just going by previous numbers, correct? Yeah. So the projections are entirely algorithmically based. So I look at the last three years for a player's specific stats so goals over the last three years assists over the last three years i weighted by recency i regress the mean based on sample size so if a player does well in 20 games that won't be looked at as impressively as a player does well over 240 games or whatever 
And I also do some age adjustments so younger players can take leaps. Older players will see a decline. And I adjust for ice time if players are expected to see a bump up the lineup. And I adjust for power play time as well if players are projected to move into the top power play unit or get more power play time than they're used to. But there is uh, none of my opinion baked in. Uh, It's all algorithmic and... From that, you yourself can go into it and change it how you like and say, maybe I don't like this projection. I'm going to move it up a bit. Maybe I think this guy is higher or lower. And you have the power to do that in the spreadsheet. Right. So like the fact that it's all algorithmically baked in means that you come up, like you run your algorithm, you see the numbers, and that's it, right? Like what happens when you see a player who... Do you ever disagree with your algorithm? How often does that happen? Does it make you queasy? Oh, there's there's definitely no queasiness at all. Uh, last year for The Athletic, I did a top 200 rankings, and this year I'm going to do that again. I actually just finished writing that today, and it'll be out, I think, on Wednesday. And you can sort of see, I guess, how my brain works and when I do go with gut feelings and... For when you're drafting with this, I think the best thing to keep in mind is that it's all probabilistic. So if a player is at a certain fantasy point range, there's a huge margin of error and players next to him, near him will be in that range. And it's okay to go with your gut and choose between those players. So if two players are maybe five fantasy points apart, then that's a decision that where you're splitting hairs basically. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I guess in any ranking, you could see actually the value over replacement score that you your like algorithm gives to each player. So mm-hmm. if, obviously, if they're close, that means it could go either way. But I would love to try to make you queasy. These are the players that we disagreed with you on the most. So I guess at the very least, you could answer why you're not queasy, which will be very interesting. So want to get into our two uh, disagreement teams? Was that a question or a statement? I don't know. <laughs> I meant it as a question, but uh, let's... <laughs> but you didn't have a. Ch- it was very rhetorical. You could not say no because then the episode would be over. Yeah, I think we'll play along. Okay, so let's start with the team where it's players that Brian and I were higher on than you. Let's start at the center position, and the player that we chose to go with here is Mika Zabanajad, mm-hmm. who Brian and I both uh, put down for eighty points after seventy four last season. You actually have him decreasing down to seventy one. I guess our main reason, and Brian, you could clarify if. There's something I'm missing, but I feel like the main thing was just he's getting Artemi freaking Panarin to play on his wing and even strengthen on the power play. So how could that not be an improvement over the guys he was playing with last year? Dom, like, uh, do you concur with your algorithm for having him decrease down to 71? I guess it's just because it's looking past just last season and seeing that he never hit anything close to 74 the couple years before. Yeah, I definitely see the argument for giving Zabanej at a bump, and if I was looking through the list and I was choosing between two players and Zabinajad was equal, then yeah, I would say, okay, I'll take Zabinajad. I'll take the chance on Panarin. But at the same time, he did play with, I think, Chris Kreider a lot last year, who is not bad himself and isn't that far off from Panarin in terms of five on five scoring. I could be completely wrong. That's off the top of my head, but I think it's not that far off over the last few years. Panarin's obviously like, a very strong player but there's also the power play factor where Columbus didn't have a very strong power play Panera's numbers there aren't that great so I with Zabinijad not being at that level ever before and having that breakout last year 
I'm not as confident that he will bust out aside from the Panarin factor. Right. So are we are we blaming Panarin for the Columbus power play? Because it was awful, right? Like mm-hmm. there was no way to, to frame their power play in a light where things were working the way they should have been. And like my take on that has not been to put it on any one person's shoulders and consider it more of a systems issue. Did you like, are, are you willing? Like, do you think that Panarin's going to carry some of that over with him, some of those issues over with him to the Rangers? Uh, it's It is tough to say. I do believe that it was probably system issues and Panarin obviously has the skill set that in a better system he could thrive. But if I recall correctly, I don't think he was that strong in Chicago either. So I'm not sure if the Rangers power play will be all of a sudden elite just because they added Panarin. That's, I think, my main argument. Okay. I'm also of the same mind. Like, I know when Panarin was, like, the big, unrestricted free agent splash that the Rangers were making, it was very exciting. Everyone got super pumped that, hey, like, he's going to New York. We've seen this coming forever out of Columbus. It was telegraphed a year ahead of time. Uh, But I'm also being really careful when talking about him to be like, no, like, this does not mean he's any more exciting a player he was. In fact, it's the same thing about Bobrovsky for me. It's like, yeah, it's really like, there's all these buzz when, when someone changes from one Jersey to another, it's like a new lease on life, especially when they're at the peak of their career, essentially like Panarin is. Uh, but I don't really see New York doing a whole lot more for him. I actually have him going down in point pace this season compared to last season. And same thing with Bobrovsky, I guess, for Zabanejad, oh, and what you said about Panarin in the power play, yeah, he's never been a huge power play producer. He's always been a top power play guy. Uh, in his first season in the league, 24 power play points. Since then, 17, 21, and 18, which is not what you expect to see from like a high end offensive player getting power play one time. Like, so I'm not so excited about Panarin coming to the Rangers and making Zabanejad all that much better. Uh, But I do think he'll at least help wash out some of the... Like, I think he's better for Zibanejad than, like you mentioned, he played a lot of time with Kreider last year. I think he's better than Kreider, and Zibanejad was seeing some variance markers that were helpful to him. Like, he had a slightly higher 5-on-5 IPP than he had in past years. But I think Panarin coming is going to help wash that Mm -hmm. out. Uh, And then I'm hoping Zibanejad keeps taking a step forward, which, you know, this is age 26 season, Maybe that's too much to ask, but I, I feel like with another year of aging and growth, plus uh, an improved line mate, I'm I'm counting on him to go out. Uh, plus, he had 23 power play points last season. I don't know. I, I can't see that going down, even if Panarin is some kind of power play poison. I, I hear your your talk about aging, and I just I just hope that you know that age 26 players statistically start declining. You try telling that to Elon. Yeah, like so we have 22 to 26, right? Yeah. Is the is the peak peak years these days. Yeah. And uh but if a player like Zabanejad took this long to break out, does that can we just delay his aging curve for our convenience? Uh maybe, but that might be why like my model uh spit out a bit of uh, regression for him. So, I guess we shall see. Yeah, I, I guess we will. Hey, and by the way, these uh, aging curves, I don't know, tell that to Patrice Bergeron. Tell that to Brent Burns. But I know these are, like, obviously outliers. Okay, so that's the first player, Brian. It sounds like uh, Dom kind of convinced you here. Maybe you're going to take down your 80-point Mika Zibanejad projection. I'm not taking it down. What made me sound convinced? 
I don't know, the power play, you, you use the word power play poison, which I think might be a bit strong. <laughs> no, but I said if he was power play poison, it was a, it was, it was tongue in cheek. Elon, you know me, once I make a call, I never back off it, even in the face of all evidence to the contrary. Well, don't say that, that makes you sound terrible, <laughs> like a terrible analyst. That was, that was also a joke. Oh my god. Oh okay, my god. Next, next player on the list of the all players team <laughs> that we were higher on than Dom. We've got on, I guess, right wing, let's put him, Jacob Voracek. So he had 66 points last year. Brian, I actually am surprised. You, like, I looked at both of our projections and we were both pretty high on him. I'm going to blame you and say that you convinced me because you've always loved Voracek. You put him for 79. I guess I decided to be even more bold. I put him right up at 82 point per game. I guess the way we were seeing it was we're expecting the power play to improve in Philly after that disaster last year. Also, we were expecting that, you know, he was playing so much time with Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom and we were kind of like hoping maybe like Kevin Hayes is a better center, maybe he plays with JVR. But anyways, Dom's spreadsheet... <laughs> wasn't convinced because he has Voracek at 70 points while we're both around 80. So Dom, are you happy with this 70 or do you think that it should be closer to what Brian and I thought? Uh, I think actually like somewhere in the middle might be the right answer. I actually did my flyers preview uh, just the other day. So I was reading a bunch about them and uh, there's a lot of reason to believe their power play will be a lot better next year. Their XG rate from year to year, from 2017 to 2018-19, was nearly identical. And the year before, they had a strong power play where Voracek, Giroux went off and had those career years. And last year, the only difference was shooting percentage. So in that case, I do have a lot of confidence in the Flyers' power play to bounce back and for Voracek, Giroux, and Gossespierre as well to see some regression there. Uh, the one thing with Voracek, though, is for, I think, the second half of the year, he actually played a lot of time with Sean Couturier. And the two had a lot of chemistry, and I think his scoring rate really improved over the second half, where this season, because they got Hayes, he probably won't be playing with Couturier anymore. He'll probably be on the second line. And I would imagine that he doesn't get that scoring bump from playing with Hayes as opposed to Couturier. So yeah, it's true. And Voracek had like perfectly steady five on five scoring rates between 1819 and 17-18. And it was really nice to see him playing with Couturier, but he'd already put up some of those rates without Couturier too. And I feel, I don't know about you, I'm kind of bullish on Kevin Hayes, like he's one of these guys switching teams who I think a lot of people are like, ah, oh, forget him. Like the Rangers were the perfect situation for him. Won't get that in Philly again. But I'm, uh, I'm feeling kind of optimistic about him. But it, so that's why. That's one reason why I've got Voracek where I've got him. And the other is essentially what you already said, right? That that Flyers power play was just snake bitten last year. They deserved so much better than they got. And essentially the entire difference between Voracek's 17-18 production where he pays for 85 points compared to his 18-19 production where he pays for 69 was those 17 power play points that he lost between the two seasons uh, because of that outage on the top power play, uh, which I think is going to return. However, the year before Voracek got 35 points, he had 23 for a couple of years. So like maybe I shouldn't expect all 35 of those to come back, which is sort of what I'm doing with my 79 point projection for Voracek. And I, you know, I've always liked him. So like maybe I'm letting that seep in a little bit too, but I think I'm with you that the true number is probably right in between the two of ours. 
Hmm, so then I feel extra bad going for 82. I might have to rethink <laughs> that after this conversation. This is like the cold water discussion to help us bring down our numbers. And then afterwards, we'll get Dom to tell us why we should be higher on the players on our all players team of players that Dom thinks are better. But first, we got to finish with this line. Zibanej at Voracek. What a team. Let's add on left wing or right wing. I never know with these guys sometimes when they're dual eligible, especially. Okay. Anthony Mantha. So this guy, first of all, last year, overall, his numbers aren't especially exciting, but he ended the year with 33 points in his final 38 games. That's a 71 point pace. Obviously, a good chunk of that came once Gustav Nyquist was gone. And then Mantha was locked in playing with Larkin, even strength on the power play. Uh, So Brian and I both gave him a nice, healthy bump. We both put him at 68 points for next season. And Dom, you've got him down at 59 points. Is it that your algorithm you think isn't taking into account the fact that he's going to play with Larkin? Or do you think that actually is reasonable to not expect such a jump from Mantha? I I just want to commend you guys on the the players you have chosen. I feel like it really speaks to your fantasy knowledge that you've taken these players that are underrated and you're taking guys who, who do have a really good shot at beating their projections. And every time you say a player, I'm like, oh yeah, you know what? That's a that's a good player to go for. So kudos on that. Um, we want to make you queasy. We want to make you and your algorithm queasy. I'm, I'm not queasy. I feel like <laughs> the algorithm is usually a starting point and you get your, your fantasy brain going and you use your gut feeling to, right. to pick some players. And I think Mantha is a decent bet because I also noticed that his scoring pace in the second half was much higher than the first half. And... I know in Detroit, he he and Larkin were, for some reason, not always used on the top power play, um, at least to start the year. And I think that's changed. I hope that's changed. So that should be a good bump for him. I have I have factored in that he will get more power play time. The, the one issue is I don't think he is very good on the power play. So that might be one thing that makes him hitting 70 points difficult and... If you look at the Red Wings roster, they have Larkin and Mantha and I guess like maybe Philip Pronick quarterbacking the power play. Anthony Nassiu, uh, it's just, it's such a bad power play that I, I just don't have that much faith. And as great as Mantha's second half was, the first half did still happen. And I think it's important not to forget that he did struggle there. Yeah, I guess the way I'm looking at it almost is like if Gustav Nyquist was doing so well with Larkin, you know, who's he, right? Like, I feel like Mantha's probably just as good as him. So just to me, I'm almost just giving so much credit to the fact that playing with Larkin means you're going to get 70 points. And Larkin himself, though, only had 15 power play points. So that point is well taken. And Mantha's power play production in the second half, which was outstanding, uh, but he had 11 points on 14 on ice goals scored while on the power play so like that probably was not sustainable he also personally scored at twice his expected goals numbers uh like which in a small sample like is going to happen and also doesn't inflate his numbers so much but it's not necessarily something we can set our watches to to happen all throughout the next season but i really liked what he did at five on five I loved what Mantha was able to do uh, with better line mates. He upped his shot rates. Uh, he really t- took advantage of those extra minutes he got. So, Dom, I, I, like, I, a question I have for you is, if someone's role changes partway through a season, how well is that accounted for in, in your model? What do you mean by their role changes? 
So, like, let's, like, you know, with the departure of Nyquist, Mantha was able to play a bigger role toward, like, in the rest of the season. So you might say that the last quarter of his season, or, like, the last half as his role grew, was more representative of the role he's going to see in 1920 uh, than was the majority of 1819. You know what I mean? Uh, kind of. So I do adjust his ice time, and I have him down for almost 19 minutes per game. So that does take care of some of that but it won't see that that minute bump came while playing with Detroit's best player so that might be a factor that downplays what he can do interesting so by the way we should point out that I guess before when we were saying that it's all like a big machine and Dom you're not like doing anything you actually are kind of using your opinions there right when you're putting down power play time and ice time like that's the one place where you're actually putting in your opinion for these numbers right yeah, so that that part is a bit opinion based, uh, but I do it in a way where it is sort of algorithmically re- determined, uh, especially for like the role stuff. So I'll measure like where they were on the depth chart. So let's say Mantha was an average like number three forward, and I think he'll move up to number two. Then the minutes that I add to his projected ice time is the difference between an average number two and an average number three. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Like, I, I, I definitely trust you that you're using mainly data to support all of these decisions mm-hmm. that you make. But like, what do you do for like, I, I don't know, I feel like Toronto is like one of these teams where like, so, like is Nylander going to be on the top power players? Is it going to be, you know, Andreas Janssen? Like some of these things, I just feel like we have no idea. And so at some point you had to take a guess of like which Toronto forward you're going to give that extra top power play time to, right? Yeah, I, I honestly think I put both of them at 50% power play time on ice and call it a day. <laughs> um, it's the same thing with Morgan Riley and Tyson Berry because there is no guarantee that Riley holds that position either. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. So I, I like it that you don't overthink it like Brian and I tend to do. I guess let's go fifty fifty and go have some lunch. Uh, okay. So let's go to the defensemen on our all disagreements team of players we're higher on than. Them. I don't know. I feel like I really like just saying the whole thing and re- rephrasing the whole time. There okay. needs to be a shorter frame for it. All right, uh, while I'm discussing this player, Brian, you come up with an acronym or something or a better way to say this. Uh, Number one, we've got the namesake of our show, Eric Carlson. Dom, how dare you? (laughs) After this guy has never been below a 65-point pace since his second season in the league. Last year, yeah, he had a bit of a slow start, but he ended with 33 points in his final 32 games. He had this like terrible shooting percentage, only three goals on 169 shots. And you have the audacity to put our boy EK65. I'm getting very aggressive here. I apologize. Okay. But you have the audacity to put him down at 63 points. Brian and I both had him around 77, 78. Surely this is a mistake, right? Uh, it, it feels like it, right? I, I know when I was doing my top 200 rankings, I'm like, where the hell is Eric Carlson here? And he's like a little down. I'm like putting in the Yahoo standard scoring settings. And I think the big thing, like the fact that he's at 63 to begin with, I think that is the second or third highest. I could be wrong, but the big thing is that defenseman scoring gets regressed much more significantly than forwards. And so even if you're at 70 points in three years straight, you show consistency, I think my model would still spit out something like 65 or whatever, just because it is, it's difficult to project defense and scoring over forward scoring because defense and don't generally control goal rates the same way forwards do. 
Right. I, I remember you saying that from past years too, that defensemen took took a greater hit in your model for their scoring um, with regression. So one question we were sort of rolling over in our minds was Carlson in San Jose. We've seen one season of him. We're still super confident he could be a point per game defenseman. We feel really pleased. Like we like what we saw, right? He scored on just less than 1% of his shots at five on five, even though he's putting up extra pucks on net last year, he put up the second best shot and shot attempt rates of his entire career in his first year as a shark. But we also just don't know like if all these extra shots are really going to amount to anything. And there is also the case of his IPP, which in San Jose, uh, Carlson put up an IPP of 40%. It had been 60% the three years prior. And usually when it's like, oh, well, you know, he's established this career benchmark of a 60% IPP, that's going to come back. But Ottawa obviously really relied on him a lot more heavily mm-hmm. to be the absolute centerpiece of their offense than San Jose is going to be. So is this one of those examples where it's like, hey, we can't just expect that IPP to rise back from 40 to 60 because of his new situation? Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a tough one. And IPP is, especially for defensemen, is probably a thing where team systems matter a lot. I do think Carlson's very evolved in San Jose's offense, but I imagine that once they get the offensive zone, he's not nearly as involved as he was in Ottawa. And I think last year he was dealing with those nagging injury issues that affected his foot speed. And that might be one thing where he's not getting as involved in offense because of it, because he has to play it safe on defense and he may be holding back from that as a result. So I love the fact that he has all these injury issues surrounding him, right? And had like an off-ish year, less five-on-five ice time, less crucial role in the five-on-five and power play setup. And he still got 70 points last year. Like That's incredible. How many guys are we like belly aching about these persistent injury issues that don't seem to be getting better? Like we don't know enough about them. Still putting up points, especially considering... As a defenseman, 70 points is so exciting. So that's what's putting me over the top for Carlson next year and still thinking he can crack 75 points in 1920. But uh, I hear you. Like if you're, I don't know if you're able to do this off the top of your head, but if your model was a little more lenient on defensemen, or if let's say Carlson was a forward in your model, how far down would he have really fallen in in his projection for next year compared to 1819? I would uh I would have to go do some math for five minutes. So I might do that in the background while you talk the next time and then like twenty minutes later you'd be like, by the way, Carlton, if if he had the same regression as a four would be this good one hundred points. We'll see. We'll see. I'll I'll honestly I'll do that now. You guys chat away, tee up the next defenseman maybe, and uh, I'll get you your answer. Wow. Okay, cool. This guy. I could definitely do that because I have a feeling I already know Dom's answer to this next defenseman I'll bring up. So I can like ask the question and then give the answer. The Dom, you can just tell me if I'm correct or incorrect because this is another defenseman. So I know you're going to say, yeah, he's a defenseman. I don't expect him to get that many points. Plus, we just talked about this aging curve and this is a defenseman going into his age 
36 season. Uh, so I think you probably know where I'm going now. But I had to mention that you were uh, quite low on a man who had 74 points in 78 games last year in Mark Giordano. Uh, you have him down now at 54 points. I didn't even ask. For, uh, is it okay that I'm like giving away these projections? But everyone listening, I hope no one's like taking crib notes and trying to like reconstruct Tom's spreadsheet from listening to his various appearances. Like, you definitely need to buy it. This is like the best deal in fantasy. Like for pocket money, you're getting this tool that's going to kill it for your drafts. Fantasyhockeyprojections.com. But yeah, I'm just trying to kill more time, Dom, for you to do this Eric Carlson uh, research. But yeah, Mark Giordano, like going to next season, you know, yeah, he's a year older, but also there's still no top power play competition for him anymore. Like Dougie Hamilton's still gone. Noah Hannafin is still not who maybe people thought he was when he got drafted. So yeah, Brian and I definitely had him down from his 74 points. We were both around the like 65 point range, but you had him all the way down at 54. Uh, and I guess I know exactly how you're going to justify it, but he's the next defenseman on our team. Yeah, so it's a bunch of things. It's the age curve is obviously not kind to someone who is extremely old like Giordano is. Uh, it's the fact that defensemen get regressed more heavily, and it's also the fact that he has never scored this like at this such a high rate before. I think he had like two seasons before this where he was below 40 points so I just I guess I just don't really see it happening for him where he is repeating such a high scoring season fair yeah like it's true he doesn't like he said a career high in his age 35 season which is just insane right in the two prior years you're right dumb sub 40 points smaller power play role in those years but even if you're just like well he got more power play time uh you can't justify him doubling his point totals from the year from those last two years uh, because he added you know seven between seven and 11 power play points over the last couple of years it's a really weird thing what Giordano's done just all that said, you know, he had these these 60-point days uh, somewhere between 2013, 2015, and we were all really excited. And then it seemed like the Flames would rather play TJ Brody on the top power play for some time. And, like, he was never they, their favored guy. But this season, you know, I don't know if it was an impression he made right out of the gate or if uh, it was the plan all along, given their their current decor and what they knew about their group, that Giordano was going to be asked to step up again. Do you know that, by the way, like talking about uh, Giordano and his age, he is uh, the third highest scoring defenseman age 35 or older ever behind only Ray Bork and Nicholas Lidstrom, who had 82 and 80 points respectively in their age 35 seasons, then Giordano with 74, then Zubov with 71, and then a 37-year-old Nick Lidstrom scoring 70 points about 12 years ago. Uh, So what Giordano did last year was truly amazing, and I don't know how to work with this. Like I I don't know what sense to make of it, and it happened with a bunch of other sort of 30-plus guys this year. And with them, like, like who were suddenly putting up fantastic numbers, huge bounce backs to their career glory days, uh, Claude Giroux is one name that comes to mind. And the thing they all had in common was they were seeing more time on ice than ever before. But that was not the case for Mark Giordano. His time on ice held steady. And I feel like it'll held, hold steady for another year. And so will his deployment. And so will his line mates. So with not a whole lot changing, 
I don't know. I just can't take away too many points from him. Uh, like, that's the difficulty I have. Even though I know he's going to be 36 years old, he can't do this forever. Um, but I guess that's where having uh, an algorithm really helps, <laughs> like, sort through those those moments in your mind where you're like, this this just can't be. Uh, and you can just leave it to, leave it to the math to to put your mind at ease. Yeah. Um, so I just did the the uh, change, and I... I think a part of it was the age curve for Carlson. And once I did that, and once I took, uh, I made the regression a bit smaller for him, the grand total of points added was a three. So (laughs) 66. You monster. (laughs) (laughs) At least one of the numbers should be 65. (laughs) By the way, Brian, you mentioned before that Carlson had 70 points. He had a 70 point pace. He only had 45 points in 53 games, just to make sure that everything's on the up and up here. All right, so let's do our goalie on... Brian, did you come up with a name yet for this team that we're making? Oh, so the acronym would be the Adtop Hootede. Okay, so that. Let's do the goalie for that. And it's... Uh, I came up with Carey Price, I was thinking, because Dom, you have him down... Like, uh, with goalies, it's a little bit different because we didn't come up with projections, but we did tier our goalies. And I see, Dom, that while you have still Carey Price ranked pretty high amongst other goalies, uh, you still put him down for a 914 save percentage, which I thought was kind of low like last year he had a 918 save percentage and actually it was really like a tale of two seasons right he he was pretty weak in the first half he had a 904 over the first 30 games but then he was killer at the end 928 save percentage in his last 36 games so i wonder if maybe price is like over whatever injury issues or i don't know i just like feel like he's carry price he's not going to be a 914 goal even though he's done it before so yeah i feel like we're higher on him we brian and i both put him in our second tier of goalies but with your save percentage in a lot of formats he would be a bit lower yeah, so the big issue is his 2017-18 season where he was a uh, doo-doo for uh, all of it. And that is a <laughs> important season, my model, because it's the one before last year, I guess, and still holds a lot of weight. So that's really the thing that's dragging him down. And I think his glory seasons, I think, are a bit behind him as well because that was, I think, four years or five years ago. So those are no longer included as well so i wouldn't be surprised because price has a talent but at the same time he has been mostly mediocre for the last two seasons so i don't see why an algorithm would see it any other way i guess i guess now's a good time to talk about the difference in scoring over the last several years like the league average save percentage has dropped now for four consecutive years. It was 910 in 1819, which is the lowest number in a decade since it was 908 back in 2008-2009. Does that affect your projections as a whole at all? Like, do all your scoring totals get juiced a little bit, or are they still being held back from, you know, the couple years before where the league average save percentage was still 912, 913, a few points higher than it was last year? Uh, I do an adjustment for goals per game. So I make sure that, so what I feed into the model from seasons prior is a goal pace adjusted version. So if the goal rate is three this year, and just for ease of explanation, it was two the year prior, then I up everyone's stats by, I guess, 66% over the... Is it 66%? I don't know. I don't know how to do percentage change, but... (laughs) I trust you, whatever you say. Whatever whatever the difference is, I adjust previous stats so that the pace matches the current year based on the goal rate for that season. 
Okay, so maybe you've already answered this, and I'm just not not putting it all the pieces together. But is it possible that a player who's played, you know, just one season in 1819 might be looked upon in a more friendly way in your projections because they weren't playing in the two years prior when league-wide scoring was down as a whole, and they got to take advantage of the year where scoring was up? Uh, it's a possibility, but I think that adjustment should mitigate that. Yeah, I guess that my question to you, Dom, is have you come up with a prediction for next year? Of Are you just like assuming like the waiting should be one, you know, one times what happened last year? Or are you expecting scoring to go up or down from last season? I just do whatever it was uh, last year and wait for... Wait for the change to come. <laughs> okay, so no, no prediction no. on whether this trend continues. Yeah, that's that's safe. I don't know either. Well, what about like just outside of this specific model? <laughs> what do you think in your opinion? Like, do you think scoring is going to stay where it is? Or do you have a prediction for like if it's going to keep going up or if we're finally going to stabilize? I, I always hope it goes up. Uh, you never know because the NHL is a backwards league and they might see that it's going up and be like, oh, this is too much offense. Let's... Make the net smaller. Yeah, let's do something to screw this up. And while we're making predictions, Dom, maybe you can help settle a little something between Elon and I while we're talking about Carey Price and Montreal. Mm. Uh, He and I have a, a little disagreement going as to who has the better shot of making the playoffs next season between Montreal and Florida without telling you whose side we're each on. What are your thoughts on on which team between the Canadians and the Panthers is more likely to uh, be in the playoffs this April? It is. Uh, it's very close. So I, I like the bet. It's pretty fair. I right now have Florida higher, but only slightly. Let me just get you the uh, the exact odds I have for Florida. I can hear Elon's smile. <laughs> it was audible. Not only, Brian, did you like say that Montreal has a better chance than Florida, which I feel like Dom is saying and agreeing. It's like, go, definitely go either way. You were like saying that Montreal is in a whole other tier than Florida. And Florida's like some like <laughs> barely contender and Montreal is like an almost sure thing. So that's why you hear the smile behind my music. <laughs> well, like, okay, I think I might have gotten carried away and I think I backed off that. That claim at the time, I caught myself. That was just in the context of putting, like, trying to decide where Carey Price and Sergei Bobrovsky fit into our goaltending tiers. And they're in the same tier. So I think I did back off it enough. Yeah, anyways, I no point gloating now. Maybe you're going to end up being totally right. And oh, yeah, Montreal's going to win the cup. And Florida's going to flounder. So who knows? So, Dom, did you, did you get that number? Yeah, so I have uh, Florida at 55% and Montreal at 39%. Oh, that's not that close. Yeah, and the sports book seems to have like a similar spread too. Like they believe a lot more. Like I think uh like the Habs are like plus three thousand and the Panthers are plus nineteen hundred or something. Is I don't know how to talk about sports odds. I hope I did a I hope that was that <laughs> <Okay>. made sense. <laughs> yeah, so I think that Montreal can I just say like isn't it kind of sad for them? Like no one wants to go there. Like they apparently tried to get Jake Gardner. Nah. He wanted to go to Carolina. Sebastian like, all Ajo the- wanted to go there and not Did Carolina. He? <laughs> Did he really? <laughs> not according to those videos he made on Twitter, <laughs> talking about how excited he is to play on Carolina. <laughs> Toivo Teravainen, I think, 30 goals. End of video. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now let's go to the team of players that Dom was higher on than us which I'm going to tell you was a lot harder to make because apparently we're a lot more optimistic than Dom is on most players. 
Uh, so this actually basically are all the players yeah. for the most part that Dom was higher on. I'm, I'm wondering who is on this team specifically because I am not sure I'm higher on like anyone. I hate everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are high, or at least your model is high on Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who's going to center this team. He had 69 points last season. And Dom, you have him going up ev- even more. You have him up to 72. And uh, Brian and I are closer to like 65. We both had 64. So we're not like so far off, but we're, you know, a tier away. You're like above 70 and we're like less than 65. Uh, if you look at his numbers last season, it really was kind of like a tale of two seasons. This is flipped from Mantha. Like RNH was red hot at the start. He had 38 points in his first 42 games. A lot of that was playing with Connor McDavid on the top line. Uh, then he shifted. He wasn't playing with McDavid or Drysaddle because RNH was playing with Drysaddle for a bit. He ended the season still not bad, but 31 points in his last 40 games, which is a 64-point pace, which is the number that Brian and I put him at. But your model has him breaking last season's total, getting all the way up to 72. Yeah, I think that is a is because he is finally getting power play one time. Last year, before that, he was always power play two, and they finally found a role for him and obviously he's not going to play with McDavid to start so that could could hurt his chances but the fact he's on that top power play and the Oilers power play might be better than it was last year they might have I don't maybe but uh Nugent Hopkins should have less terrible line mates as well I think James Neal is better than whoever he was with that wasn't McDavid last year I the 72 points makes me hesitant and I would be more than happy to drop that down to 65 to be honest but I can see where the model made some assumptions with regards to the power play and whatnot every time you say the model I think of a Rick the model Martell anyone no 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 (laughs) yeah with the spray of the perfume (laughs) yeah and like the big the big like bright white smile but wrestler by the way i guess we should clarify classic late 80s early 90s wrestler okay um we're losing him okay back to right he's not 30 yet he hasn't yet had his chart mitzvah so we've got to keep that in mind so you said dumb that james neal is going to be a better line mate than whoever he was with in his non his non McDavid configuration. So it looks like that was mostly like Pugliarvi, Lucic, some Drake Kajula in there. Alex Chiasan. Well, Chiasan, he usually played with at the same time as McDavid. Okay. Anyway, yeah, it sounds like we're not talking <laughs> about the greatest uh, gems here yeah. that James Neal has to compete against. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident that James Neal can bounce back a bit, and especially if he's playing with Nugent Hopkins. So yeah. I mean, it's this five-on-five time that I'm really concerned with. And by the way, I think I'm wrong about McDavid and Chieson playing together with Nugent Hopkins. But it's not that, like, fun or important thing to talk about. So, like, just Nugent Hopkins at even strength with James Neal. And, like, who else? Cassian, Chieson, Sam Gagne, Marcus Granlund? Like, there's no one (laughs) for him. So I feel like... It's great. Like, I loved his power play deployment last year, as you mentioned. He saw a 74% share of his team's power play time, which is far and away the greatest share of his team's power play time he's ever seen. Uh, and with it, 26 power play points, which are his best power play point total since his rookie season, where he had 23 power play points in 62 games. Uh, like, this guy has been a power player 
for his entire career, yet just now going to get finally the opportunity that he should have had all along, um, which is great. So I'm good to book him for another 25 power play points. It's just at five on five, you know, even with James Neal, I just don't know that he's going to get more than like 35, 40, even strength points. So that that's what concerns me and why I'm pretty bearish on him. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, so let's go now to the Wings, who's playing with Ryan Nugent Hopkins in our fake team, which are going to be better line mates than who's going to play with him on his real team, unfortunately. Uh, here's a guy, I think this answer is going to be pretty obvious, but a uh, winger that, Dom, you're a lot higher than us on is Phil Kessel, who I assume your model is coming up with his projection based on his numbers with Pittsburgh, where he had 82 points last season, 36 power play points. Your model has him doing almost the same thing. You have him at 79 points. Brian and I are a bit concerned that maybe it'll be tough to get 36 power play points on the Arizona Coyotes. And so we both have him decent. Actually, I have him a little higher than Brian. Brian went 66. I went 68. But you're way up at 79. Do you agree with your model here for Kessel basically keeping up with what he did last year now on Arizona? Yeah, I definitely would uh, would love to downgrade that personally. And uh, it's very difficult to factor in, I guess who he's playing with and how that changes. And he obviously goes from one extremely favorable position to one that isn't that great on an Arizona team that is very like devoid of star players. But at the same time, he is the guy now in Arizona. He will get more ice time. He will still get a lot of power play time. I don't think he'll get 36 power play points again, but I wouldn't be surprised if he rejuvenates the Coyotes power play because he for a lot of time, Pittsburgh, like the power play did go through him. It wasn't through Crosby or Malkin necessarily. Like he was the quarterback on the half wall. So he can make things happen there and he may drop down himself, but he may elevate a lot of other Coyotes players up. So I wouldn't be surprised if he still eclipses 70 points, but getting close to 80 might be a stretch. This is like the opposite of the conversation we had about Panarin coming from a power play uh, situation where he's always seemed to struggle or the team he's played for has struggled and whether he's going to bring that to his new team. And with Kessel, it's like, well, how much of the magic can he bring from Pittsburgh to Arizona? And Dom, you nailed it, right? It's entirely about the guys around him and it's just not a comparable group and Arizona is not a team that has had a good power play historically. Like Phil Kessel has been like Phil Kessel has essentially outscored the Arizona power play over the last few years. They ranked 28th in the league in power play goals since 2016. Uh, Phil has 108 power play points in his last three seasons in that same time spent. Like he's a star, but yeah, there's no Crosby, no Malkin, no Latang in Arizona. So uh, I guess I don't have to make like there's not a huge argument to make here because you're you, you know you've already said like this yeah. is one that maybe could use some you know like gut right when you're at the draft table and ah does does this look exactly right? So I won't I won't go on too much, but it is a. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how much of that Pittsburgh power play was Phil Kessel, like, and on the Pittsburgh side too, right? Just see how successful they can continue to be, even though he's made his exit. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, everyone is super excited about Jake Gensel basically getting in on the power play. Just He's, he's going to pick up all the power play points that Kessel's taking away, or at least some of them. But of course, we'll have to see how it works with this new configuration. And Arizona, though, you know, it's not only the power play, right? Like, you'd hope that Phil Kessel will just help them overall be a higher scoring team. I think it's pretty obvious that in a draft, the first Coyote you're taking is Kessel, at least for forwards. The next is Clayton Keller. Out of curiosity, Dom, who would you take third as a forward on Arizona? I think Brian and I disagree here, so maybe you could break the tie. Oh man, is there is there a third forward take on Arizona? Um, I mean, I'm I'm into Nick Schmaltz yeah. for next year. I'll say that. Um, who's who's Brian? Uh, well, there's Kessel Keller, and then it becomes a toss up. I'm like, I just it's not even that I think Stepan is going to be better than Nick Schmaltz. I just think he's getting written off really quickly with Schmaltz's arrival so like yeah I'll, I'll i'll put him out there like i think stepan could very well uh outscore uh nick schmaltz i have heard that schmaltz is uh starting with kessel so i would definitely go with him first i i do see the argument for a step on but if he's not playing with kessel then i like schmaltz's chances a lot better but what if stepan is playing with keller keller is like a bargain bin kessel <laughs> <laughs> ouch Okay, so uh, we've got, I guess I got another right wing. I didn't do this exactly right, but uh, I'm sure he could play the other side. Doesn't matter. This next guy, all he does is go around and hit people, but still rack up a ton of points because he's got an all-star line mate. And I'm talking about Tom Wilson, who last year had a 52-point pace, 40 points in 63 games. And Dom, your model has him increasing that pace. You put him down for, or your model put him down for 54 points. Brian and I were not as high. I had him higher than Brian. I went 44. Brian went 41. So you're like way ahead of Brian on Tom Wilson, which makes sense because Brian also hates Tom Wilson. And I will say one last thing before I go to you. Like he also was one of these guys that his season was starkly different at the start and at the end. Like he was like amazing like anyone who picked him up while he was suspended and you know suffered from having a wasted roster spot for a few weeks like was rewarded immensely he had 20 points in his first 22 games and then wilson really fell back to earth and only had 20 points in his final 41 games which is like a 40 point pace which is around where brian put him uh so dom uh, would you be drafting wilson as a 54 point guy next year i i usually am good enough at drafting that i don't have to draft any 54 point players but with Wilson, he has that spot on the top line. And I think what drove his value up last year is I think someone was injured. I don't remember exactly who, but he actually got some power play time with the top unit and contributed there. And I think that is part of why my model is a little higher on him is that I increased his power play time to be in line with... Actually, I don't even know if I increased it. I think I decreased it from what it was last year, but because... It was always around like 1%. He still saw an increase because of that. Yeah, so he got uh, like the first power play role of his career. Last year, he saw a 30% share of his team's power play time. Uh, got five power play points with it, three of them goals. He also added two shorthanded points. So he had seven special teams points uh, when historically he has had one or zero. Mm-hmm. So uh, that helped bump his numbers up a little bit last year also he had this like huge start right he had 19 point or this like he had a giant stretch where he had 19 points over 18 games which had me sweating because as elon said i have never liked to give tom wilson a lot of credit for the points he scores Mm -hmm. and you know like going into last season he'd never topped 
more than a 37 point pace. Um, so, and that was just the season prior. So like good on him for improving on it. But I think a lot of that came in this stretch where he had like a crazy on ice shooting percentage, uh, was scoring it like twice the amount of on ice goals that should have been scored, uh, using his expected goals numbers. Uh, he had his own crazy shooting percentage. He scored seven goals on 31 shots for 23% shooting percentage. So if it weren't for that stretch, I think this would be a really easy call. Like, we'd just be saying, yeah, Tom Wilson, 40 points, and mostly because he plays with Ovechkin. Yeah, I think that's the big thing is the fact he pl- does play with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, that he's in this offensive role and will just get points by accident. And I think we have a decent range here that it'll be somewhere between 40 and 50 next year. But definitely closer to 40. <laughs> well, not not according to this model, <laughs> Brian. Uh, and by the way, Dom, obviously I wouldn't waste your time normally talking about a 54-point player, but <laughs> there are people in leagues that count hits and penalty minutes. So for them, there is a big difference for mm-hmm. Tom Wilson. Even being a 55-point guy would make him like immensely valuable in, in a lot of formats, which you know, of course. What kind of formats do you like to play in for fantasy? I have a keeper league that I've been running for like a decade, and it is pretty simple it's goals assists power play points shots for players and wins saves goals against for uh goalies and it's literally just a head-to-head points league so no category bs i know we've had this discussion before i'm sticking to that cool okay yeah i, li- I kind of like that whenever people ask us about like what format do we like I- i'm always also on the side of simpler is better you want to have just players that you're cheering for to do offensive things but I-, I can understand the argument for just wanting to throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and just mm-hmm. make it more of a strategy game with like a million things to have to account for those are like kitchen sink leagues right and we had this conversation recently with the the fantasy hockey podcast guys in the last little episode uh, the collaboration we released i can't remember which side if it was on ours or theirs. But in any case, like I've been thinking about it since then about, you know, how they use PIMS. And it's sort of like, I feel like, you know, saying, well, it's just another data point to evaluate players on and add strategy. It's kind of like, you know, if all I need is like two scoops of ice cream, and that's perfectly good with me. And like, they're like really delicious scoops. I don't need like a third of like the worst flavor that the ice cream shop is just trying to get rid of. Like, this doesn't make me happier. That doesn't make my ice cream better. Is that a terrible analogy or a somewhat half decent one? I can make it better. Uh, penalty minutes, if you have it in your league, it's not like adding the worst flavor. It's as if the ice cream shop owner went to the back and took a dump on your ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dom, what about if it was a points league? What if your points league uh, gave negative points for a PIM? Like you got negative 0.5 or something for every PIM. Would would that be okay with you? I like that immensely more than rewarding someone for penalty minutes. So I will, I'll, I'll be okay with that. All right, cool. And by the way, a separate question that you can answer off the air. If you have any uh, spaces in this keeper league, it sounds pretty good. 10 years running. Hard to get a league that that goes that long. Okay, Uh, let's do the defenseman and then we will let you go. Thanks again for joining us, giving all of this time. Uh, so the defensemen, these guys, honestly, this is where it got really hard because your model really hates defensemen. So it was hard to find guys that you were higher on than us. But I did get a couple. These are not as big ranges as some of these other players. Uh, the first is Seth Jones, who Brian has as 52. I put it 48 after a 50-point pace last season. So Brian and I just sort of like straddled that number. Then you, though, have him at 55. So you have him doing better than the previous season. 
I feel like there are some concerns with expecting Seth Jones to do even better. Like one, like he loses Panarin. Like I worry that maybe Columbus will have a harder time scoring goals. Also, I wonder about Zach Wierenski maybe finally taking a step forward and like usurping Seth Jones as the main offensive weapon on the team. He just signed this three-year deal. So are any of these things concerning you and your 55-point Seth Jones projection? Yeah, definitely. I think what I did there was I had both Jones and Orensi seeing over half the Columbus power play. And I know that a lot of teams are shying away from 3-4, 2 defense power play uh, rotations. But given the dearth of options in Columbus, and I think I talked to some of the people who write about the Blue Jacks as well, I think they might go with Jones and Orensi, which would probably be bad for the Blue Jackets, but good for people who own Seth Jones in fantasy leagues. I have very little to add here, Elon. Don, Dom and I are really close. I think you're the one, if anyone, who has some splaining to do. Because Dom's at 55, I'm at 52, which isn't that far off. You're you're in another stratosphere at 48. <laughs> I mean, he only had a 50-point pace last season. What are you doing the season before that? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> but that season, I don't know. I'm looking at the most recent one, and I'm also worried about losing Panarin. And so that's why I have him like a little lower. We're not really that Panarin, you're losing the power play poison. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'll get better then, of course. Yeah. Okay, then the last defenseman here, which we're also like super close on, but Dom's a little higher on, is Thomas Shabbat, who Dom, your model has him at 58 points. Brian and I are closer to 55. So as you can see, like a huge difference there. Uh, Shabbat, again, very different in different parts of the season. He had overall 55 points in 70 games, which is a 64-point pace. But after that big February exodus, when all the good players in Ottawa left, Shabbat only managed nine points in his final 19 games for a much less exciting 38-point pace. And that's the Ottawa team that Shabbat once again joins next season. It's not the Duchesne Stone team. It's the Brady Kachuk and others team i guess so yeah that's why i would probably not think of him as a 58 point guy but i can understand why your model does because it's not taking into account the fact that some players left the team yeah yeah for sure uh i think the thing with shabbat is the best hope you can have is that he becomes ek65 uh version two where it doesn't really matter who's on the team he'll get his points no matter what and i think the fact that he will get a lion's share of the power play time he will mostly see the ice with Ottawa's best offensive players. They they do have some, I guess, and 58 might be a little too much, but I think he has the talent. The only issue I have with him is how many of his points are secondary assists, and we saw that regression come to fruition literally halfway through last season, so I can imagine him dropping off as a result of that. Yeah, I have him. I'd be even further from you, Dom, if it weren't for Elon pointing out just how like maybe Shabbat could be version two of Carlson. Someone's got to get points in Ottawa. So like I, I'm reading my notes from our almanac and I originally uh, like had 50 question mark. And I guess Elon talked me up to 54. I'm just so concerned about the Senators and goal scoring next year. You mentioned his secondary assists. Yeah, he had 15 of those at even strength compared to nine. Uh, but 29 of his 41 total assists at all strengths were secondaries. Only 12 primary assists. So that does like make you wonder, uh, 
there's not going to be, I feel like there's not going to be someone in between him and the goal scorer to help uh, see a play through from start to finish the same way there were for the first 60 games or so of Ottawa's season last year. So Shabbat uh, looking real sad fantasy-wise. I'm probably not going to end up with him in a lot of leagues. He, like He's one of the few power play quarterbacks that we know is going to be there that I'm I'm really anxious about even getting near. Uh, speaking of Ottawa in general, Dom, after Brady Kachuk, is anyone remotely draftable to you uh, in the forward core? No, not not even slightly, I don't think. Maybe Colin White, depending on how many minutes he gets, but it's just very, very bleak in Ottawa that I would probably just stay away from them entirely until they proved their worth during the season. I guess that makes sense. Some people are excited about Drake Batherson. So he, like, the thing is, <laughs> Elon, Elon casually seeing some people when he's really referring to himself. Yeah, some people. And cool others. People. <laughs> but you could also own it. <laughs> All right. I, well, I will just say that Ottawa's going to score goals. And I think they have shown that now in this iteration of the team, they're going to try to trot out these young potential future stars to try to sell tickets. You know, like they're not going to be pl- sitting Batherson and Brady Kachuk on the bench because they want to make sure that, I don't know, like Bobby Ryan and Chris Tierney get their ice time, right? Like, I think that all these young players are going to get a great opportunity to play a lot in meaningful minutes. And so I could see some value there. And Brian, it's funny how you said that Thomas Shabbat is like such a sad situation like you still projected him for 54 points and <laughs> yeah. even if you drop him down to 50 that's still fantastic for a defenseman and the guy's also still only 22 so anything that he did last year like he might also just improve as a player like he might have had a great offseason working out so i don't know i still like him i think ottawa's not going to score zero goals a game right so and i think shabbat might get in on a lot of those goals but yeah i'm not going to go up to 58 and i'd probably be closer to 50 than than 60 for sure I uh, I just want to add one thing. You uh, you mentioned how they're not going to sit Kachuk and Batherson. They they may sit Batherson to start the season. Uh, like there's no guarantee he's making the team. And that when I spoke to the Ottawa beat writer for the Athletic, he expressed doubt that Batherson would be their star unless he had an unreal camp. So. Oh. That's your uh, Ottawa news for the day. <laughs> you know, Dom, I'm glad you said it because I've said the same thing to Elon and he won't listen to me. It's just a hunch. I feel like now Batherson has officially dropped like 50 spots on your draft list, Elon. <laughs> I would say that I was. it's not like I was going to reach for Batherson anyways, but uh, he'll be on my watch list if he's not drafted in my various leagues. He's just a guy I have an, an eye on. I feel like he could be like, who's he competing with? Like that's th- anyways, obviously I'm going to trust this Ottawa beat writer. Dom, you've got like friends in the know. So what am I supposed to say? Uh, okay. So let's go to this goalie to end this. So a goalie that you were higher on than us. I landed on Devin Dubnik, who mm-hmm. last year was like a uh, good and bad. It's like, first of all, he led the league in games played. He had 67 games, which is like amazing. And depending on your format, that can make him valuable right there. 31 wins, 913 save percentage. So pretty pedestrian numbers for someone who played 67 games. Uh, I looked at your projections. You've got him uh, with 65 games. So similar games played, but you have him increasing his save percentage up to 916. You've got him 33 wins. You've got more wins, better save percentage, still a ton of games. Brian and I put him in our tier three, but it looks like according to your projections, he would be like based on the way we were looking at things, like he would be a, t- a tier two guy, maybe even like one of the top guys to own with the numbers you're projecting, depending on obviously how much weight you put on games played and saves versus, you know, save percentage. But even a 916 save percentage would be well above league average. So yeah, Devin Dubnik is the guy who you love. Do you like that I'm calling you a Devin Dubnik lover? I uh, I hate it, but uh, 
I will own it because I do think Dubnik is very underrated. I think his ADP is somewhere in the 70s. And for someone who does get that massive start volume, I think that is way too low for him. I think start volume is a big thing for goalies. You see Ben Bishop and Tukaras getting taken super high in Yahoo leagues. And I, I don't know why you wouldn't rather have a goalie who will play 17 more games and get you more value that way. And that's what Dubnik can be. He might get the exact same amount of wins as Rask, but he will get more saves and probably have a similar save percentage. It's not because Dubnik is any good. It's because the Wild are a very strong defensive team and they have a good system there that makes Dubnik look better. And I know the 916 is high, but he was at, I think, 918 the year before and above 920 the year before that. So that's why he's up there. And that's not him. He is truly a terrible goalie. It's just the Wild make him look better. And as long as he plays 65 games and Alex Dalek is not going to steal his job, I I think he's a pretty safe end. I think the Wild do bounce back a bit this year. That might be the other thing is I don't think they're as bad a team as many think they are. Yeah, like that's essentially it, right? Dubnik is not a goalie to write home about, but Minnesota is the perfect place, right? They offered him the highest expected save percentage in the league last year. Uh, He rewarded them with the 28th ranked save percentage in the NHL amongst goalies who played at least 30 games. So really underperforming that expected save percentage, which I guess is expected to some extent, or like the bar is pretty high if your team is giving you such great protection you know, maybe it's a little harder to to perform above your expected save percentage that way. But there's no excuse for being as bad as he was last year. And he still managed a 913. And as you said, Dom, 918, 923, 918, the three years prior, you also mentioned they only have Alex Stalock as the alternative. And I feel like the Wild are just like, we don't care who plays goalie for us. We're going to defend our net really well. And it's our offense that we have to figure out. And I I feel like that's the model for the Wild and it's going to continue to be the model for the Wild. And which is why uh, Dubnik, well, like I I can't figure out if he's much maligned or not. Because I I feel like a lot of people have lost faith in him. But those same people, you know, will just be peaking at his save percentage last season. See, hey, he was three points above the league average in all situations and the past few years before that were excellent and he's the only guy there to take starts 67 games played last year um he's played at least 60 for four consecutive years now his entire time with the wild Uh, if you prorate his first season with the wild i'm sure you'll get a similar games played pace so he just by virtue of being the guy is a great fantasy asset to have so i agree with you Elon, I, I don't know that... So you say Dom was higher, huh? Well, we have him in our Tier 3, and according to Dom's projections, he would definitely be higher than a lot of the guys we had in Tier 2, like Marc-Andre Fleury, for example. So I'm going to read our goalie tiers, and I want to know, Dom, if you think Dubnik belongs with these guys, it, like, on your in your draft table. And, like, there's a whole question of if these guys are worth reaching for, but let's let's ignore that for now and just decide if he belongs alongside these names or or a step below and by the way anybody who misses the names or wants to follow at home keeping carlson.com slash goalies uh you can go see all our goalie tiers there okay our tier two has uh flurry price gibson and bobrovsky is dubnik as appealing in fantasy 
as those guys or more or less? Uh, I definitely don't think he belongs in that group. Like that's a thing where I think I would target him because his ADP is so low, but I don't think he's anywhere near as good as those players because his main asset is start volume. He will chip away and get points that way, but he won't have, he won't, his fancy points per game won't be as great as the guys you mentioned. So I think he's not as good as those guys, but I'm guessing that I would have him a step above most of the guys in tier three. Yeah, so tier three, we have him amongst Bishop, Grubauer, Holtby, Murray, Rene, Bennington, and Hellebuck. And like, I, I feel like we totally agree on this, where Dubnik is probably going to be the most, the easiest guy to draft of that entire group. It, it, like, you even look at tier four, I could see Rask and Jones and Carter Hart also being picked before Dubnik. Um, so Dubnik is a, is a great bargain from someone who thinks Minnesota is over and Devin Dubnik sucks. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to forget about him, as you mentioned, from what you're seeing in the ADPs. It seems to be the case. So nice little sleeper pick, but not anymore now that the thousands of Keeping Carlson listeners are going to be juicing his ADP numbers now. <laughs> We've ruined it. But yeah, I think, and I like this take that Minnesota might be better. They kind of remind me of New Jersey, right? Like New Jersey, where you expect it to be good last year. Then Taylor Hall got injured and things kind of fell apart. Minnesota, you know, Matt Dumba, they were doing well. And Ryan Suter was doing well. Matt Dumba was crushing it. Then he got injured and then things kind of fell apart. I don't know if it's all because of Dumba, but I could see uh, Minnesota being better. So it's Dumba and Miku Koivu in that, like Dumba was their best offensive weapon on the back end and Koivu was probably their best defensive weapon up front. So losing those guys were was definitely something that hit Minnesota hard. And the other thing with the Wild, because I'm writing their preview right now, so all these facts are fresh on my mind. This is actually what you're taking me away from with this uh, hour and 15 minute long podcast, my, my thoughts on the Wild. But uh, the Wild last year had, I think, a 54% expected goals rate and only scored 48% of the goals at 5-on-5. Five five. And that 6% difference was the 11th largest since 2007-08. Wow. There were 23 teams that had a difference that was over 5%. 21 saw an improvement the next year in their goal rate, and the average improvement was 5%. So... Under that, you can expect the Wild to be at 52 or 53% goals, and that is right in the playoff discussion. Boom. Wow. We're here first, Minnesota Wild, Stanley Cup champions 2020. <laughs> By the way, they they didn't only lose Dumba and Koivu, right? They also lost Nino Niederreiter and Mikhail Granlund to uh, mm-hmm. Paul Fenton's uh, decision-making. So, yeah, tough season. Okay, so this has been great. We've got our two teams. I know, Brian, maybe I was reaching for putting Devin Dubnik as the goalie that Dom was higher on us then, but it's hard. Dom's not higher on any goalies than us. He kind of agreed with us with a lot of our goalies, so I did the best I could. That's the best sign we can get for our projections being somewhat accurate. Yeah, there you go. I definitely use Dom's spreadsheet for my job. I did a draft recently. I actually put in some, Brian, of our projections mixed along with Dom's projections. So it's a lot of fun because you can just download the spreadsheet and then you can mess around with it however you'd like. So uh, yeah, it's fantasyhockeyprojections.ca. Uh, that's where you can get those. Dom is on Twitter at Dom Lushishin, which is probably hard to spell, but I'm sure if you type Dom L. They'll find you, right? And then you're also on The Athletic. I guess I could also just throw to you, Dom, and you could promote all the things you want people to check out. 
yeah, I think you have it covered. Uh, I have a piece on the Athletic coming on Wednesday, the top 200 rankings. So if you're in a standard Yahoo league that counts, if you literally just start a league and like, you know what, this point system sounds exactly right, then you don't need my spreadsheet. You can just look at these rankings on the Athletic and go from there. Earlier this summer, I did a keeper league rankings. I ranked every player by position based on their short and long-term upside. I think that one was pretty interesting. And then next week, I'm writing a piece on defenseman value. And I think I'll also have something coming out with Scott Cullen where we do something similar to this podcast where we look through our projections and see where we differ. Wait, what's this podcast going to be? It's not. It's going to be just an article, so it'll be like a written podcast. Oh, <laughs> what is, what's that? <laughs> There's a thread going on on our Facebook group right now where people think that I hate books because of a silly offhand comment I made. And then people are like, I'm team Elon, F books. I'm like, no, no, that's not what I... But yeah, okay, reading sounds nice. And yeah, if, if it's going to be you and Scott Collin discussing projections, and I definitely am going to want to read that. We'll retweet that for sure when that comes out. So you can follow us at Keepin' Carlson <laughs> to get all the good Dom Lushishan updates. <laughs> Retweeted. Uh, okay, so Dom, thank you so much for coming. We'll let you now get back to your Minnesota Wild preview. And I uh, really look forward to seeing all of your takes throughout the season and then doing this all again next September. All right, sounds good. Thank you for having me and letting me advertise for free. <laughs> no problem. Well worth it for us and our listeners. All right, see you guys. Thanks, Dom. Brian, how great is Dom frickin' Lushishin? He's so freaking great. I will never eat ice cream again. <laughs> right. Okay, so before uh, we head out, let's do a c- couple quick reminders for our listeners. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked this episode, you could listen to like 27 plus more hours of Brian and I talking, coming up with all these projections in our NHL audio almanac that we recorded a few weeks ago. It's still available. Brian told you about it in the intro. I'm telling you about it again here. Keepingcarlson.com slash almanac to get that then the keeping carlson ultimate patron fantasy league registration deadline is nigh it's this thursday it's the 12th if you want to play in the cupful now is your chance by the time you listen to the next episode it'll be too late okay so if you go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron you sign up to be a patron and then you could read all about the cupful you need to join you're going to start at the bottom tier you're going to climb your way up next thing you know you're a world famous celebrity as the tier one ultimate champion I want to see you in there. If you think you're good at fantasy hockey, let's prove it. So again, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Sign up for the cupful. Keepingcarlson.com slash almanac to get our almanac. Hope you like the show. We'll be back at you with another regular episode this Sunday. Can't wait for that. Uh, this episode, by the way, was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, uh, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reverence, Hockey Biz, Hockey Database, and of course, Dom's fantastic projections at fantasyhockeyprojections.ca. And of course, we were presented by Dauber Hockey, very proudly presented. You might want to check out their guide, which is amazing, over at dauberhockey.com. Great job, as always, Brian, and I'll talk to you in a few days. Until then, keep on keeping Carl signed.